What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, hanging out on the Matt Baxter Show. Uh, I just love hanging out with smart people, and Greg Anderson does not disappoint. Greg Anderson is the chief privacy officer of Scripps Company. Um, we smack talk a little bit about uh, Kentucky. He lives in Kentucky. We have horses. We, uh, we have some awesome conversation related to that. We talk about what does it mean to be a chief privacy officer and, you know, not just like being an attorney and reading docs to make sure your privacy and terms and, excuse me, terms and condition policies uh, line up and match up. But what does it actually mean to like think about organizations at that scale and how to, uh, you know, obviously do business, conduct communication externally, internally, but make sure privacy is tight. And uh, that's something that Greg does day in and day out. So Greg, thank you so much uh, for being a horse lover, which is awesome. Thank you so much for being a Kentucky and maybe a little bourbon lover too. But also thank you for just being a good man. Uh, this episode is awesome and I hope everybody enjoys it just as much as I did. Greg, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Matt, hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, where in the world are you? So I am in a little town called Stamping Ground, Kentucky that you have never heard of before. We're uh, just a few minutes um, outside of Georgetown, Kentucky, between Lexington and Cincinnati. Are we, uh, are we horse people? Uh, I am a horse race person. We don't own horses. Uh, we live on a small farm. When I started working for Scripps uh, a couple of years ago, a little almost three years ago now, um, we moved out of Lexington, my hometown, just a bit north of the city to get a little bit closer to Cincinnati where Scripps is located. So we've got 10 and a half acres um, and uh, very beautiful, no horses, but it keeps me pretty busy. I love it. Um, I asked because uh, in September we'll be down there for the sale at Keeneland in Lexington, and really? uh, we we've got a little fund. So this is not my day job. This is a fun thing that my dad and one of our partners launched. Uh, we started a little bloodstock agency where we pinhook horses, and so we've my my dad's uh, Jim, the the partner in this, has been doing it for a long time. Came over from Ireland. Uh, my dad's been a horse guy since he grew up and, you know, I just happen to be connected with some guys who like throwing money at some fun and enjoyable things. And so we rallied a little group. So we've got, uh, we've got five selling at the September sale. That's amazing. Well, we'll have to, uh, that, that's, that's a separate conversation outside of the podcast, but we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, de- we definitely, we definitely should talk about that, but no, I love it. So the other thing before we really dive in, I have to talk about is you are married to the world's greatest French teacher. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Um, I, I, I like to give my wife as much of a shout out as I, as I possibly can whenever possible. So yeah, well, Molly and I have been married for 15 years, and she runs the French program at uh, a, a private school in Lexington where my, where, where my 14-year-old went until last year and my 10 year old still goes. So, um, she is well loved by all of her students. I love it. So do you guys speak a lot of French in your home? We do, uh, especially when they we're trying to, uh, as opposed to spelling things in front of the kids, we will, um, we will, we will use French when we need to have a conversation <laughs> or talk about them, in front of them. So it does come in handy there. French, French is my it. second language. And, uh, it's uh, the, the, the origin story there is when Molly and I first met, um, somebody sort of pointed her out to me and said, oh, by the way, she, I think she speaks French or maybe she's a French teacher. So I uh, sidled up to impress her with my French. She was wholly unimpressed. Uh, my 
uh, I'm um, I'm very enthusiastic, but apparently my my command of grammar does not meet her her level of requirements. So um, <laughs> it's, it's it's still a bone of contention to this day. But it's pretty I love, funny. I love that. It's amazing. Well, uh, we talk courses, we talk speaking, you know, different language. So I can already tell that this is. Uh, we're gonna have some fun with this one, but you know, if if you'd be willing, just would love to get more of your background, your story, kind of what led you up to today. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess the 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 resume perspective. Um, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, went to a school where I was lucky enough. My my mom had a thing about languages for for me when I was younger. So I started taking French at a very young age, and then the school that I went to started languages in the fourth grade. So I took French um, there fourth through ninth and then kept on with it throughout my career, but ended up going to a, a, a pretty big public high school in Lexington, then to Miami University in Ohio. Uh, and from there, University of Georgia for law school. And then um, that, that, that international um, bent or passion for for traveling and working internationally took me to um, a uh, university in Lyon, France, Université Jean Moulin, uh, where I got a French law degree a year after law school and, and worked at a local firm as an intern for that year. Um, came back to the States uh, and kind of went an alternate route and um, found a job in uh, the mobile industry, building out mobile networks. So back then, two and, and 3G wireless networks, helping uh, plan, do site acquisition, permitting, um, and even eventually climbing around towers and rooftops, pulling and checking coax tables and coax cables and uh, antenna placements. That, that job uh, started off in Atlanta, went to Seattle for a couple of years, back to Atlanta. And then um, Switzerland, uh, Montreal, working coast to coast in Canada, and then Sweden before coming home. Um, worked from, was at home for a while, took some time off, and then worked for uh, Lexmark International for a, a good chunk of time in finance, legal, and compliance roles, supporting sales and development, um, which then led me to. Uh, my current gig at uh, the EW Scripps company, um, also in the legal department as vice president and chief privacy officer, where my main focus is, is privacy uh, and our privacy program. But I support IT, IT security, um, a newly formed contracts management team. And, and probably my favorite part of the job is the, the Scripps National Spelling Bee. <laughs> I love that. So um, <clears throat> first thing I want to double click on is uh, how transferable is a French law degree versus a, a U.S. Uh, law degree? How different are they? How similar are they? What's the overlap there? So the focus in France was uh, European Union uh, competition law, basically business law. So the... Um, Whereas my, my U.S. law degree was like everybody else's JD, sort of a pretty general with the ability to, to take to, to take some courses that had uh, a more specific um, track to them. The, the French law degree was very much focused on European Union competition law. And so um, the direct applicability to what I ended up doing, not 
huge, but uh, it was a great it was a great experience and a great education in working abroad. Um, I was the only I was the only I was the only foreigner, the only American in a a, a, a class of fifteen um, uh, French students. So the working with them, being put in an environment which was uh, initially overwhelming, um, and spending the time with them, working through that was invaluable going forward uh, from a career perspective. I love it. Um, so, you know, law degree to privacy, obviously, you, there was sort of a natural transition of how you stepped into that. But for the general population, what does privacy mean? I think everybody kind of understands it as a, as a buzzword and privacy and compliance are obviously things that, you know, you, you hear all over the place. But what would, it, what would a day-to-day thought be around privacy or efforts or th- projects you'd work on in that space? What, and again, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Uh, that's, that's, that's an hour-long conversation in and of itself. But, but to, to try to distill it or boil it down, uh, privacy is the, the legal and ethical use of information or data that can end, identify an individual. So it, it, and it means different things to different people. It means different things geographically, meaning in the U.S. versus any country in Europe versus uh, countries in Asia. It's, it's the, the concept really is uh, it's difficult to pin down as, as a, a, with a specific definition. But I think if you look at it as what I said uh, to begin with the, the, the collection use, um, of, of information that can identify an individual. Um, that's, that's really what the, the, the concept is. Uh, privacy as an, as an occupation, as a profession is helping organizations approach their use of that data again, from an ethical legal perspective so that you're in compliance with the ever growing number of privacy laws around the world. Um, I, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I'd love to, and, and this, you could probably, we could probably have a five or six hour long podcast on this question, but what would you say is like the general, uh, the overall general population's assumption of privacy for the better and for the worse? Meaning like, what are some things that the overall typical person assumes, hey, uh, I'm way more protected than I am here and that's wrong. And where are they also thinking, oh man, this is not as bad as, not as bad as we thought sort of thing. What Walk me through sort of the general population's approach that maybe they might be missing the point a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and again, you have to look at it, uh, I think, geographically that's going to be different right so of course, if you talk to sure. somebody in germany there's going to be a high expectation that their personal information is protected it's used legally and ethically and uh, um, a very high bar for what the general population expects their experience to be when interacting with with a company move to the us and the concept from a general population perspective is much less developed or, and it's, it's changing, but I, I also believe that there's an expectation that, 
hey, all my stuff's already out there, so it doesn't really matter. And I, I kind of am skeptical or cynical and, and don't have a lot of trust with any of these organizations that I interact with. Um, and that's, uh, again, changing over time as there have been these uh, incidents, security breaches uh, on large scales from the, the, you know, the Cambridge Analytica's, the Equifax's, there, there's more and more um, awareness of, of what it means to have your personal data uh, being collected and used by various companies, along with some of the documentaries that you'll see on, on Netflix about what that can mean for an individual. So um, I, what I talk to my kids a lot about is understanding what it means when they're downloading that app or looking at the number of people that have downloaded that app, what it's rated, what their privacy policy is, the, the not necessarily reading the entire policy, but looking at what their practice. <laughs> Talk about right. something you really want to do during your pastime is read all those. Correct. Right. right. <laughs> I, I don't wish that on anybody as doing it on a day-to-day -day basis professionally. You know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not often that I talk to, to people that don't do this for a living that have actually ever sat down and read anybody's privacy policy. But, yep. <laughs> um, but, but what, what the likes of Apple and then uh, uh, Fast Follower Google have been doing um, when you look at the App Store or the Play Store is they're trying to distill those down to, to something that's a little bit easier to consume for the general population. And I think it's important for people to take a look at that and sort of understand that what data is being collected, how the companies say that they're going to use it and, and starting to think about that a little bit more because there can be real world implications, if not on the micro level for an individual, on the macro level as you're looking at large data sets. Yeah, I like it. Um, so why are you in this space? Um, Lifelong love of technology would be the short answer. Um, when I was at Lexmark, I was a customer-facing uh, uh, deal guy, attorney embedded with the sales organization, helping lead um, large negotiations with Fortune 100 companies around the world for long-term outsourcing service agreements. And um, as GDPR started to come on people's radar as well as uh, more and more security and privacy concerns from our customers. The CIO, the then CIO of Lexmark approached me. Um, we had a long-term relationship and he knew that I was very uh, tech focused um, and was looking for somebody to fill the role of uh, global data protection officer. And it was, it was just a great fit. Uh, because of um, my love of technology, my ability to translate between the business and the tech world's relationships in uh, with the development group, um, and it, it and, and having been customer facing and be able to sit in rooms in front of customers and and have complex, sometimes difficult conversations, it, it was just a great fit. So. Um, started, created, managed the privacy program at Lexmark. Um, and that then led to an opportunity with, with scripts. Um, I, it, it makes all the sense in the world and it's, it's, um, it's been really fun both in this podcast and also Greg, I don't know if you know this, I own a HR tech company, um, and we're, uh, video interviewing and 
talent attraction platforms. We have a lot of conversations around, you know, we have high volume of candidates applying through our company. We've got uh, candidates that are looking for jobs, companies that are posting jobs. We've got, I mean, it's been fascinating to learn a lot about this. I'm not technical even a little bit. I'm the dumbest guy in the room technically, but it's been fun to sort of stick our, our teeth a little bit into how we go about thinking about privacy and protecting uh, candidates, protecting companies. Um, and then also you start to have conversations around well, people are job seeking and looking for jobs. How much can you encourage them if they didn't get a job here to point towards this direction? There's a lot of data behind that. So it's, it's a fascinating space, at least in our world, something we're thinking about a lot more. It's, it's an amazing space because you have uh, individuals that are not part of the organization. You've got the organization on the other side. And what you have probably seen, and I think the world at large doesn't really understand, is even in what may seem as a, a simple interaction, sending your resume in or having that video interview, um, how much data actually moves back and forth and where that data can go, how it can be shared, where it's stored. Um, and then when you start taking uh, different data sets and matching them and putting them together, you know, the kind of insights that can be provided for, for good or for bad. You know, it's, it's, uh, we've been at this for five or six years and starting to ramp up and, you know, we're now having tens of thousands of candidates a month go through our product. And then you start to think that times, let's say a video interview on average is four or five minutes. I mean, that's hundreds of thousands of minutes of video of candidates that are, I mean, there's just so much, so many moving parts, which is like really fun. It's an incredible asset of figuring out how do you, you know, best appropriately help people get jobs or help companies hire better or help candidates, you know, anyway. So it, it's been, it's been really enjoyable to sort of, take a step back and think through what can be done with that, both from a short term, like, let's make sure we're delivering an amazing product, but also in the long term of like, what are the broader questions we can start to ask around what we can do with this data? Right. And, and then when you start thinking even further down the road and applying AI and ML to those data sets and being able to chew through just massive amounts um, it, it really starts to become interesting. And, and I think that, and that's where the pitfalls are as well, because um, you have no nefarious intentions with what you're doing, but it's the unintended consequences. It's not what you're going to do with those gigantic data sets or that data that you gather on me during that interview, but what happens when the next person and the next person, and the next person gets hold of it? What insights are they going to kind of draw? What kind of decisions are they going to try to make based on data that was gathered for what was originally a really good idea. Um, is it possible for that data to, to, to move forward and then be misused or used in a way that I, as the individual didn't uh, originally intend? No, it's, it's, you're spot on. And, uh, and one more thing on, on just in the space, and then we'll stop talking about my business, but, sure. um, the, uh, one of the, one of the players in our space uh, did a lot with sort of facial recognition and, and lie detection. So picking up on lie detecting things from large data set of machine learning and understanding whether somebody's sort of lying or not. And the, and the interesting part was like what they found was it overly flagged liars, if you will. So like, Greg, let's say that, uh, you know, the summer of 2008, you were in France and it really was more like the fall of 2008, but technically you're a liar. So it would flag you as a liar in your interview. And therefore it, it, it had some really 
negative implications. Yes, did you lie technically, but materially no, purposefully no. Like it, it, it had some the, the the studies around it have been really interesting. Right. Well, and 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 again, when you start looking at that sort of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the algorithms and uh, prejudice in algorithms, it, it becomes even more interesting or concerning. Um, uh, EDI is extremely important at Scripps, and we do a lot of good things around um, equity, diversity, inclusion, and if you start to trust that tech more than you should, or that tech has some sort of fundamental bias, which then gets tagged to that person, especially in the example that you're talking about, and then it follows them around afterwards. Yeah. The, the, the implications are, are really interesting or really concerning. Again, I'm a big fan of tech and it can always be used for good, but you, you have to be so cautious about the unintended consequences. Well, you know, I always love that people say I like making data, data, you know, data decisions. Like we only make decisions with data. Well, usually people who say that only like making decisions with data that support their original idea, and then they question data that doesn't support their original idea. So there's always that. But then there's also a, a, a data is a historical trend and historical story. There's something to be said about making data informed decisions of taking the data and knowing that there's a future, knowing that things change and shift and adjust. I mean, if you only made data decisions, you would never launch new products or take a risk. And there are plenty of circumstances where uh, the data uh, didn't necessarily support what the outcome was. I mean, that's basically how Apple was founded, was they went totally against what consumers wanted. And and, and so it's, it's just been really interesting, uh, the change in big data, quote unquote. And it seems like more and more, and maybe you find this to be true, but seems like more and more big data is uh, uh, less sexy than what it was, like at least the hype of it. I don't, I don't I mean, obviously the value is there, but I think there's a lot less hype around sort of the big data, quote unquote. You know, the buzzwords are cyclical, right? I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself throwing out the AI ML. You know, a few years ago, everything was cloud, cloud forward, and then big data, uh, you know, and and you know now we've moved into uh, then there was uh, you know blockchain had its minute um, arguably still around AI ML is is the buzzword of the moment everything is AI ML right now so um, yeah I, w- I guess I would agree big data maybe you don't hear it uh, you don't hear it harped as or hyped as much as it as it potentially was a, a while back but but it's it's certainly uh, it's data, data, I stay away from data governance. I like data enablement better um, <laughs> because it's more positive than, than, um, than governance. And I think data will always play a role. And while big data as a buzzword may have maybe dropped from the forefront a bit, it, that, that really is where the future is. It's, it's making decisions on, um, these macro level macro level trends that, that you would not have been able to look at easily in the past, right? There's enough, there's tools and insights available to organizations now that just, just weren't around 10 years ago. There was yeah. no way you, you might've been collecting all this stuff, but there was just no way to chew through it. Yep. No, it makes sense. So tell me more about what you do at Script. Uh, so uh, VP and chief privacy officer, I've, uh, first person with a, a dedicated privacy role at the organization. So 
stood up and manage and run the privacy organization across the company. Um, Scripps is a it's really interesting, cool company, a 140 year old company um, started off. It's named E.W. Scripps because the, the gentleman that started it, his name was E.W. Scripps, and he began selling newspapers for a dime on the streets of, of Cleveland. Um, <laughs> went from newspapers to uh, radio, from radio to uh, we were in the podcast space for a number of years, and then um, uh, television. So we have two parts of the company, two main divisions, local media and national networks. Local media is your ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox affiliates that you go to to watch the nightly news uh, and get the weather reports in um, markets all across the country. And then on the national side, it's um, nationwide networks like ION, Court TV, Laugh, Grit, um, and a couple of new ones, um, True, Real, and uh, uh, and uh, Defy. Um, so those are nationwide networks that we we reach. I think it's ninety eight percent of the population in the U.S. Um, so uh, there's. Um, very different sides of the company and different um, challenges, but uh, it's it's all about um, our interaction with the with the public and what we do with that that personal data that we collect in order to to run those those uh, TV outlets that we have. And then there's the spelling bee, and the spelling bee is the, the Scripps National Spelling Bee, um, which is uh, the the company's been doing for 90 years. <laughs> only missing once for World War II and then once during COVID. And oh my uh, that, yeah, that part's the, the, the spelling bee is a, is a really special thing um, and a lot of fun to be part of. So that, that's the privacy part. Um, and otherwise, I'm part of the legal department, um, uh, help, um, uh, help form and, and executive sponsor uh, a contract management organization for the company, as well as pretty much anything that's technology related um, uh, inbound outbound agreements come across my desk in some way, shape or form. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, and the, the spelling bee is certainly I'm, I'm, I'm no avid, uh, amazing speller in any way, shape or form, but it's certainly something I, I would uh, know very well. So that's awesome. Um, I'm trying to think of how to ask this question with your world, would you say you spend majority of your time thinking at the micro level of, Hey, these documents, these transactions, this verbiage, you know, in, in sort of legal day by day problems that you're trying to solve, or are you more macro approach of like, this is the way things are going. We should get ahead of it, or we should be reactive, you know, reacting to that and build process, you know, in place around that. Would you default towards one or the other? Um, it, that's one of the great things about a privacy role. I mean, compliance in general, but privacy specifically is, uh, I, I do both. It's probably even 50, 50, um, very strategic understanding what new, uh, trends, tech, uh, regulations, responsibilities are out there, but then also very tactical getting involved with specific vendor agreements. Um, to make sure that we've got the right language to protect ourselves as well as the individuals that that we're responsible for. So it's it's a pretty even mix between between the two. Yeah, I love it. Um, so what's uh, what's 
what's the big picture for you? What's, uh, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you want to, uh, you know, somebody at your funeral said, Greg did blank for me in my life. What, what do you want that to be? Um, so the, my, my family comes first and foremost. Um, so, uh, I do everything I can every day to be the, the best me I can be for my wife and kids. It's always my number one priority. Uh, so I, I would hope that there, that would be at least some recognition from them for that. Um, but for, for me personally, it's, it's, uh, my curiosity, um, and, uh, commitment to, to challenging myself that motivates me. Um, I, I've always felt that my, my, my goal and my responsibility to myself is to learn and experience as much as possible. So I, um, have, you know, lived abroad, uh, worked abroad, uh, travel extensively, uh, have, um, tried to meet as many new and diverse people as I can, um, and learn as much from people in different cultures as possible and, and to be as big of a service to them as I possibly can. So, um, you know, I, I like to think of, you know, I try to look at every day as a new adventure and I think it can be if you let it, it's, uh, um, uh, commitment to moving forward and finding the best out of, of every day possible and, and sharing that vision with folks. Yeah. I love that. Um, my, uh, my favorite question on the planet is, uh, and I, it sounds like you've listened to a couple of the podcasts before, so you know, this is coming, but what, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And obviously you answered probably a few of those things throughout the course of it, but would love, would love to hear your answer to that. Um, well, yeah, I think that it was, I, I might've jumped the gun a little bit, but, uh, you know, outside of work, um, uh, well, I guess the common theme for my career is is technology and the issues surrounding it. Um, I, I the uh, and the other big one would be being part of uh, compl- complex, multidisciplined teams. I enjoy being part of or leading teams with different skill sets, backgrounds, uh, with a with a toward moving towards a common objective. And, and I think there's a lot of um, to be learned and gained from uh, having those different viewpoints and coalescing around a common goal. So um, bringing excitement, curiosity, and enthusiasm to those type of environments is what really gets me up and, and, and gets me moving every day. I love it. Um, so Greg, for people that want to follow along with some of the work that you're doing, learn more about you guys, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or, or reach out or learn more? Um, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, link, LinkedIn is is obviously probably the best uh, to get to me personally for Scripps. Our, our website's at scripps.com and the spelling bee is spellingbee.com. And otherwise, uh, enough. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the best way to find out about what we're doing for sure. I love it. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks. It's been fun. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at thematbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, 
or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way and don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye. <music>